Hello and welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. For another episode, we are going to talk about everything because I am Garrett Ashley Mullet and I want to talk about everything. Now, I remember several years ago asking a friend of mine to give me some feedback on the podcast and what did he think of it? Was it interesting? How could it be better? What was working? What wasn't working? And my friend Bobby, he came back with some honest feedback, and that was good. I don't have to necessarily agree with all the feedback I get or embrace it, but my friend Bobby McPherson over at the Reformed Conservative, his feedback was that a show about everything is a little bit maybe not focused, right? I mean, that's the the definition of unfocused if you're going to talk about everything. If you were to pick a topic, though, however, and say, let's drill down deep on this topic, then your listeners would know, okay, if I'm interested in that topic, I will go to this podcast. So that was his recommendation. And uh, Bobby, if you're listening, thank you for having given that recommendation several years ago. I do remember it. I was listening. I did think about it. And uh, if you're still listening, then maybe the everything approach is working anyway, <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. I don't have very many listeners, so we'll see if uh, I'm able to keep up with talking about everything. Maybe in the course of talking about everything, I will you know, learn the, the validity of your advice uh, way back when. But uh, one of the things that I really thought about when he gave me that advice that I should be more focused, I should focus on a issue, a topic, a subject, was that everybody is seemingly focused on a issue, a topic, uh, a subject. We have experts in so many things, in seemingly every thing, every individual thing has a expert, but seldom do we have people who have taken the time to figure out the connections between the various things. We have all of these experts. We have all of these people that are so interested in the minute details of this given arena. And do we have a lot of folks who are putting the pieces together, who are connecting the dots? I don't feel like we do. I feel like those folks are few and far between. And so what we really could use, what would be a value to me if I knew of somebody who was doing this and I could go listen to their material or read their material, is someone who connects the dots, someone who points out that these things are not separate. These subjects are not separate. These issues are not separate. These topics are not separate. They are connected. And even if they are separate, they are related. Even if they are different and there are distinctions, they are interwoven with one another to make the the fabric of reality as we know it. So an example of this in real time is in the year 2020, we have come to know Dr. Anthony Fauci very well. If we have watch the news, if we have listened to the president, if we have paid attention to all of these COVID restrictions across the country. Here in the United States of America, Dr. Anthony Fauci has been the face of 
what, right? Whatever the recommendation was at the time, whatever the medical experts or the scientific community was saying we should be doing at the time. And Dr. Anthony Fauci for a while said that masks were not really all that necessary. If you're a healthy person and you don't want to wear a mask, you don't need to wear a mask. It's not necessarily going to help you. It might provide a kind of placebo effect. If you want to wear a mask, then by all means wear a mask. It's probably not going to hurt you. It might hurt you, but it probably won't. And then later on, he recommended locking down the country. We've got to tell everybody to stay home. We've got to tell the healthy people to just not go to work, not take their kids to school, not go to church, not go out to eat, not do anything. They just stay at home, shelter in place, because if you don't, then people are going to die. You're either taking your own life in your hands or more to the point when it comes to justifying heavy-handed government responses, you're taking somebody else's life in your hands and they're going to die and it's going to be your fault. And so now we have a blank check if we are not Anthony Fauci, but the uh, various government officials that uh, derive a kind of mandate from him. Now we have a blank check with which to uh, revoke your civil liberties, revoke your ability to post content that's critical of their decisions on social media even. We'll find... uh, that your share of that news article, that video by uh, America's frontline doctors gets taken down. Maybe your account gets suspended. Maybe your content gets flagged. And now all of a sudden there's a little uh, notice for people in your friends and family and and acquaintance lists. Uh, As they're scrolling through, they see a fact check right beside your post saying that basically you are not a credible person. Your content is not credible. You do not do your due diligence, et cetera, et cetera. Don't believe you. Uh, and it, when it comes to you know going to work anyways, your business might be fined. You might go to church and your church might be fined. Your pastor might be threatened with jail time, et cetera, et cetera. Dr. Anthony Fauci is, as uh, a number of characters over at the Daily Wire have pointed out, he is interested in single-factor analysis. In other words, he's looking at one dimension of human well-being when it comes to the United States of America. He's looking at disease prevention and control. So we get this thing called the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. And even though it's the end of 2020 now almost, it's still COVID-19 apparently. But you get this COVID-19 and he has it as his job to advise how to control and prevent the spread of this disease. And so now he's looking at everything from the perspective of how do I do that, right? Ultimate success would mean nobody else gets it, nobody dies from it, and what's that going to take? And if you hadn't noticed, nobody voted for Dr. Anthony Fauci. He was not on the ballot at any point in time. We never had an opportunity to say, yes, that's who I want to represent me. That's who I want to be making the decisions for domestic policy, for interstate commerce, for, you know, whether or not my civil liberties are suspended or or protected by the government. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci is not a elected representative. He is a uh, institution because he's been in Washington. He's served, quote unquote, uh, you know, several presidential administrations over the past 
several several years, many years now, uh, decades at this point, I think. But nobody voted for him, right? He just kind of hangs around. He he vacillates apparently uh, behind the scenes. I, I mean, that, that would be my speculation. He vacillates back and forth, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. He says what he needs to in order to uh, maintain favor, maintain his position at court. Uh, he is a hanger on. Uh, he is a he, he's he's a. I, in my opinion, my very um, honest opinion, he is a, a tool, right? He is about himself. He's a self-promoter. He is in there to be about Fauci, right? This is his job. He wants to hold on to it. And so when people want to hear that you don't need to wear a mask, he says you don't need to wear a mask. When all of a sudden other people are coming up behind the scenes and saying, hey, you really need to be telling people to wear masks because it's advantageous. This can be a political issue. We can use this as a, a wedge to drive voters away from Republicans and uh, the president this year. He goes for that, right? When people are asking him to repudiate the president and he needs to state true to the president and praise him in order to retain his position and his influence, then he praises the president. He doesn't stoop to criticizing the president. He sticks with him just enough to hold on to his job. But when we get down to the election, all of a sudden he's going to throw in the towel on President Trump. He's going to claim that uh, President Biden would be far better as uh, a, you know, a, a, a commander in chief who's going to fight this coronavirus in a serious way. And so you should vote for him, right? And I think what it really comes down to is not you know, who's going to do a better job uh, fighting coronavirus and keeping us all safe from coronavirus. I think what Anthony Fauci has calculated is that a Biden ticket is going to give him more power, is going to give him more influence, and that his days are numbered. Once the election is over, he's probably going to get sacked. He's probably going to get replaced with someone else. And then he's got to go figure out what else to do with his life, right? He doesn't have a plan B necessarily. This is his plan A and B to be in the position he's in. But he does single-factor analysis. He's looking at one dimension of human well-being, human wellness in the United States of America. He's not looking at, how, do people need jobs in order to stay healthy, right? Like, is unemployment unhealthy? Is that risky? Is telling people that they're non-essential, is that hazardous to their health? Could that influence people towards committing suicide? All of a sudden, you've told people they're non-essential, we don't need you. Your job is really not important. The thing that you've been doing your whole life to provide for your family is not really important. Providing for your family is not really all that important. Now you're incapable of providing for your family. We're going to make masks mandatory. Everybody's got to wear a mask. So you can't see people face to face. You can't in interact. You can't be a human being. You, I mean, God gave us faces for a reason. And they are very really what humanize us. Otherwise, it's just noise. Right and and deaf people, you know, I'm sure they find other ways to, um, you know, humanize the people around them and and experience the world. But we we're not blind. For those of us that are not blind, we can see when everybody is being forced and coerced into wearing a mask, and then that creates psychological distance. And now all of a sudden, it's harder for people to connect in a way that eases loneliness and gives value 
to human existence. It's not good that man should be alone, but when you put masks on everybody and you cover all of their faces and you oppress them, when you, you, when you, when you exercise this kind of benevolent dictatorship and tyranny, you create depression, you create frustration, you create desperation, you create suicidal feelings in a lot of people. And so suicide has gone through the roof. People that were already on the edge as it was before, they all of a sudden say, you know what? I'm punching my ticket. I'm out of here, right? I'm just going to end it. And so why is Dr. Anthony Fauci not concerned with that? Because he's concerned about one single factor, which is disease. If suicide is not a disease, he's not interested, right? And that that is very dangerous for us if you're going to empower this person who's only looking at one dimension of human well-being and they're not looking at these other necessary uh, elements that we need in order to not only survive but thrive. I think it's, it's very dangerous for us to have a society full of people who are only thinking about one thing. They're only looking at this one aspect. If you don't also have the folks who are helping everyone to connect the dots. And so when I say I want to talk about everything, what I mean is that I don't want to get tunnel vision and I'm only thinking about this one aspect of our well-being. I'm only thinking about our, this one aspect of our decision-making, right? I, I could never do a podcast about shoes, right? This is a podcast about shoes and we're going to talk for an hour periodically. Now we're at 41 episodes. This is the 41st episode, by the way. We're going to talk about shoes for an hour, 41 times, 41 hours. I couldn't talk about shoes for 41 hours to save my life because at a certain point, I'm going to get tired of it and I'm just going to be bored and you're going to be bored. And why in the hell would you want to listen to 41 hours about shoes anyways? Uh, you know, sh food, right? The, I, I couldn't talk with you about food for 41 hours. I don't want to talk with you about food for 41 hours. If you want 41 hours of food content, go to the Food Network, right? There's 41 hours at least a week of shows about how to cook and how to about, about how to experience food, how to enjoy food together with other people, how to make it interesting, how to keep it fresh. But even the shows about food are not really about food. You, you don't tune into the Food Network just because it's about food, you tune into Food Network because it's about all of these different personalities, right? You're not just watching uh, diners, dives, and drive-ins. You're watching Guy Fieri because Guy Fieri is interesting. He's an interesting character. He's an interesting cat. You're watching the owners of these diners, drive-ins, and, and uh, dives or whatever, however the order is for that show. You're watching that show. And you're interested in what are these different personalities like when they interact with Guy Fieri, right? And by the way, you always see them with their faces uncovered. You don't watch that show with these people all wearing masks. They have their faces uncovered because you want to see their faces. You want to see their facial expressions, all these little nuanced, quirky little expressions that people make in the course of conversation, either when they're speaking or when they're being spoken to, they're reacting to things, right? You get to know what's going on in their head. You get to know what's going on in their heart. You get to know who they are 
because you can see their faces. And so that's why TV is so much more compelling than radio. If you have the opportunity to either listen to a radio program or watch TV, which are you going to choose? And if you have the choice to either watch a TV show or go see these people live in the flesh, which are you going to choose? You're going to choose the more dynamic, the more multifaceted way of experiencing this content because it's it's more lifelike. It's more real, right? You you have all of these senses with which to interact with the world for a reason, unless you're blind, deaf, dumb, mute, whatever. Uh, you know, some people are, but if you can choose to not be, you'd like to not be, and you'd like to avail yourself of of all of these ways of experiencing reality. So this is a show about everything. And our next episode is going to be episode 42, which if you have read Douglas Adams' uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know that 42 is the answer to the question of what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. So that'll be a fun episode. But this is episode 41, so right on the cusp of it, and I wanted to talk a little bit about everything. Why do I want to talk about everything? Let's have that be our topic for today. The reason why I want to talk about everything is because everything is consequential. Everything matters. And everything is a subject in a certain sense, right? The, the subject of everything is a subject unto itself. It's not just all of these individual subjects. At a certain point, the whole is worth more than the sum of its parts, because these things need to be connected. Now, I've got five fingers on each hand. I haven't lost any, haven't had any serious damage to any of them. If any one of those fingers is missing, my hand doesn't work quite the way that it was originally designed to. It doesn't work quite as well as it might. If I am missing several fingers, and they're over there, and they're disconnected from my hand, those fingers aren't doing a lick of good to me. They need to be connected and they need to be connected in all of the ways they should be connected. The bones need to be connected. The joints need to be connected. The muscles need to be connected. The skin needs to be connected in order for my finger to be working correctly on the hand. And I want all five fingers. I want to retain all five fingers on each hand, on both hands. I want to have both hands connected to my arms. I want to have both of my arms connected to my shoulders. I want to have both of my shoulders connected to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get the point. To say, well, we don't really need to focus so much on everything, the whole body of knowledge, because we have all these individual parts. It creates opportunity for things being disconnected and of limited utility. And it's fine to have certain kinds of doctors who specialize in, for instance, uh, disease, infectious diseases. It's fine to have doctors who specialize in bones. It's fine to have doctors who specialize in the brain. It's fine to have doctors who specialize in any number of certain aspects of human health. But sometimes it's important to go to a doctor who is just a general practitioner. They're not necessarily an expert in any one thing, but they know a little bit about everything and they can refer you to a specialist based on you know, if you're experiencing certain symptoms and they know that it's out of their depth, but they can send you to the right guy, they know the right people, 
then it's valuable to use them as a kind of hub through which you get connected with these other um, more specialized practitioners. I think so also too, we need to have people in society who are focused on everything. Uh, I don't see a whole lot of those people. And so here I am. And part of what has been disconnected, it's been amputated from our understanding of everything is the spiritual, it is the religious, it is, uh, you know, especially in Western civilization, the Christian worldview. And so then you have on the secular side of things, this disconnect, this failure to comprehend that our political positions, our economic theories, our social interactions, our professional questions are all connected to our religious beliefs. You have a failure to recognize that. And so then you can have somebody who is pro-life and who is also pro-abortion, both saying, oh, well, I'm a Christian. How dare you say that I, you know, that my Christian faith doesn't inform my position. I say that because obviously your conclusion on this issue is not connect, it's not connected to the religious worldview that you claim you subscribe to. You obviously don't know that one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not murder because you are pro-murder. You think people should be free to murder if they like certain people that you've dehumanized. You obviously don't understand how these things are connected. And no small part of why you don't understand how these things are connected is because you thought they could be separate and they would work as good as ever. You thought that you could live in this secular reality and that that becomes now reality because that's what you choose to focus on. That's the way you choose to experience the world. Those laws, those natural laws, God's law does not fail to be enforced. It, it doesn't cease to be enforced. It doesn't cease to be a factor in consequences just because you ignore it. When I was a little kid, back before my little brother, I just have the one little brother, back before he was born, I remember one day I was told to go take a nap. My mom wanted me to take a nap, and she had a friend over, and so she was going to chat with her friend, and she was going to have coffee or whatever, and so I'm upstairs in my bedroom, Glendive, Montana. We've got this little tiny house, and I had a bedroom on the second floor, and I didn't really want to take a nap. I wanted to go down to the basement where my toys were and play. And so I had a plan and I was all of probably three years old. And so I thought, you know, if I could just sneak past my mom and her friend and go down to the basement and she doesn't see me, then I can play with my toys. And so what I did was, as I'm walking down the stairs, I closed my eyes and I covered my eyes. And I thought that if I had my eyes closed, then my mother couldn't see me. And what ended up happening is that I fell down the stairs. It literally happened. I fell down the stairs, and all of a sudden I'm hurt, and I'm crying, and my mother and her friend are like, what in the world are you doing, right? Well, what I was doing was I was foolishly thinking that if I closed my eyes, my mother wouldn't be able to see me. And uh, I didn't end up getting out of the nap, as I remember. 
But I did learn an important lesson, which was that's not the way it works, right? We can't just close our eyes to certain subjects that we don't like. And then all of a sudden they cease to be a factor. They cease to be important. They cease to be consequential. It does not work that way. Reality does not work that way. And so I want to break down the siloing effect within all of these various subjects and fields because I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous to say we're going to separate the political decision-making from our religious convictions. Now, I don't think that religious convictions should become the argument in and of themselves, but I do think that if you're a Christian, you should be open and honest about, is my worldview consistent? Am I voting in a way that's consistent with what I say I believe over here? I think that allows us to be healthier people. I think that allows us to be more clear-headed. I think that allows us to scrutinize whether the things that we say we believe are actually true. Do we actually believe them? I think that helps us to come to better decisions in, in terms of policy. I do believe that religious liberty is one of the greatest aspects of our United States Constitution and Bill of Rights. I do believe that that tradition that was passed down from the original 13 colonies to now the 50 states of the United States of America was good. Having studied the Protestant Reformation and the Counter-Reformation on the Catholic side, having studied all of these wars and, and fighting that happened between these different uh, denominations and these different people that were asking questions of you know, the, the Roman Catholic doctrine, who were for it, who were against it, I do think that religious liberty is a great and very fine idea and that Congress, or rather the government, has no business trying to favor one denomination over the others. But, but, it just does not work if we're going to start introducing any and all religious traditions and saying that they're all equally valid. For instance, France is being racked with terroristic violence. You have Muslims going into places of worship and schools and even just on the public street in the middle of a crowd, stabbing people, cutting their heads off because they feel like that's their right and their responsibility. If you insult the prophet Muhammad, the false prophet, by the way, I don't have any obligation to flatter you if you're a Muslim. Uh, I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Christian. I obviously do not believe that Muhammad is a actual true prophet. If I did, I'd be a Muslim, but I'm not a Muslim. So in this country and in Western tradition, we are free to say, I am not a Muslim. In Muslim countries, guess what you're not free to do? You're not free to say, I'm not a Muslim. You're not free to criticize Islam. You're not free to critique it. You're not free to analyze it. You're not free to disagree with it. You're not free to object. You're not free to have your own idea. You're not free to uncover your face. Oh, by the way, isn't that interesting? Here we have railed against the way that women are treated, for instance, in Saudi Arabia, where all of a sudden they, you know, them having to mask up and cover their faces or else take a beating is... Uh, what, disconnected from our current situation? Now we're not even thinking about why those women have had to have their faces covered traditionally, why we're having to have our faces covered in public? Hmm, interesting. Why didn't we see the connection there? Maybe we didn't see the connection there because we were so focused obsessively on 
certain individual topics and we weren't thinking about maybe that is connected to this. In a Muslim country, a woman has to cover her face and every square inch of skin on her body because otherwise a man might lust after her. Now, interestingly enough, if a woman is walking around with things uncovered, even just <gasps> her face, her wrists, her ankles, gasp. If she's walking around with her skin uncovered at all in places where this tradition has said she must have it covered, then men are free to do whatever they want to her. And it's her fault. Right? She had it coming. And that worldview is not, is not compatible with Christianity. It is not compatible with the United States of America's Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and Bill of Rights. In that worldview, you have no rights. You have the right to submit to Islam. That's your right. You don't choose to do that, you're wrong. And not only are you wrong, but we have the right to do whatever we want to you. If we're Muslims. That's incompatible. Right? If you put restrictions on that, if you if you squash that way of treating people, of oppressing people, that is oppression. That is tyranny. If you squash that in France, if you squash that in the United States of America, is that a violation of the separation between church and state? No. No, it isn't. Because the Muslims don't see politics and culture and work and home life and family and their religion as separate at all. It's all together. It's all one big worldview. And you're either for it or you're against it. The whole world is divided into Muslims and non-Muslims. That's it. If we don't look at the connections between everything, then we get very confused about what to do with Muslims, what to do with Islam in the West. And so many, 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 many of us are confused about what to do. Oh, it's horrible, but what, what can you do? Uh, well, how about deport them for one thing? And if they don't put up with being deported, how about you fight them, right? If they're going to fight you, if they're going to stab your people, if they're going to cut your people's heads off in the streets and they don't let you deport them, how about you fight them? Because you can't coexist with that. That cannot be permitted. It needs to be squashed. It needs to be gotten out of your system. That is systemic oppression, by the way. Black people in America, white people in America, having different average median incomes in their homes, that's not systemic oppression. Muslims requiring that all of their women keep every square inch of skin covered all the time or else take a beating or else get raped. Reserving the right to cut the head off of a school teacher if he shows a satirical cartoon of Muhammad. That is systemic oppression. If you're not criticizing that, if you're not standing up to that, you're not courageous. You're not the resistance. You're a coward. You're taking the path of least resistance, actually. Stop calling yourself the, the resistance. Start calling yourself the path of least resistance. Because what you're doing is you are, you're falling right into this 
house divided against itself cannot stand nonsense that Jesus told us does not work. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We're fighting with each other. And guess what the Islamists are doing? They're licking their chops. Guess what the communists in China are doing? They're rubbing their hands together greedily, just waiting for the opportunity to jump in. Because while we're tired, like two bull elk going at it on a mountainside, fighting to the death, the wolves are just hanging out right on the sidelines, waiting until we're both tired. And then they swoop in and they eat us both. I told you so isn't going to be satisfying at all for me because it's going to screw me over as well. It's not just you. You're, you're sabotaging all of our well-being because you have this harebrained, godforsaken idea that this is an oppressive country, that you're not free. If you're so unfree, why haven't you been shot yet? If you're so unfree, if this is such an oppressive country, why the hell are you f able to say the things that you say which make not a damn bit of sense? You, you just try going over to Saudi Arabia and talking about their system and protesting their system the way that you're protesting ours. You just try going over to communist China and doing the things that you're doing here. You just try and pull that and see what you get. And then come back here and let's talk about whether America is oppressive. If anything, you are too free. And you don't understand where your freedom comes from. You don't understand why you have these liberties. And your tomfoolery is going to get yourself killed. And it's going to get all of us in a deep, deep lot of trouble. So we need people that are going to talk about everything and who are going to connect those dots, who are going to say, this is why you have religious liberty. This is why you're free to be an atheist if you want. Nobody's going to compel you to be a Christian. And if you are a Christian, nobody's going to compel you to be an Anglican, a Lutheran, a Presbyterian. Nobody's going to compel you to any particular tradition within Christianity. This is why you have freedom of speech. This is why you're free to say what you think, even if it's dumb, even if it offends me, even if I hate it, even if I think, oh my word, were you dropped on your... I mean, I pulled that trick the, the one time where I tried walking past my mother and her friend with my eyes closed down the stairs and I fell down the stairs. Maybe you tried it several times. You hit your head a little hard. And how in the world did you come to this conclusion? Why are you free to say nonsense? Because you are. You, you're free to talk nonsense if that's what you want. Now, what many of these leftists are forgetting is that we also are free to call it nonsense and to explain in detail at length why they're wrong. But why do we have that freedom? Why, how did we get to here? How did we get to now? How is it made? Needs to do an episode on America. Because everybody's confused. They all think that we got America because of the 1619 Project. Not everybody. That's not fair. I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush. Too many young people who've been brainwashed by a godless 
public education system that was designed by John Dewey and others, patterned off of the Prussian model of public education, to get this result that we are seeing. Too many of these young people think that the 1619 Project is legitimate history, that America really did start with the bringing over of black Africans for slaves. What, a quarter million or so? If that's how America got to be so wealthy and prosperous and strong and powerful and assertive, then why is Brazil not even stronger, even more powerful, even more wealthy, even more influential? They brought in a heck of a lot more slaves than we did. So what about that? You know, nobody's asking these questions because the 1619 Project isn't diving deep into Brazil. They're not seeing the connection there and questioning the premise. It has a certain agenda. It knows what it wants. It wants what it wants. Don't you tell it that it can't have it. How should our child-rearing approach be informed by our religious convictions? How should our child-rearing approach be informed by our politics? You know, it, it confuses me that we have this disconnect among conservatives between the way we have our children educated and the way they turn out. You have all of these young people that are going off to public schools. You're depending on the government even as you rail about government dependence. You rail about welfare and then you send your kids off to be raised by a whole host of the, the village. It's Hillary Clinton's It Takes a Village. You send your kids off to be raised by the village, and then they come back having all of the bad ideas of the village and of the progressive ideologues who are in the tradition of John Dewey. And you're surprised. You're like, why in the world is my little Johnny and Susie a progressive all of a sudden? Well, they're progressive because they weren't raised in a conservative educational system because you haven't connected the dots on how your conservatism should inform the way that you train and educate your child. And somebody needs to be talking about that. Somebody needs to, that's part of everything. Somebody needs to be pointing out that there is a serious oversight. You're doing single factor analysis. You're thinking, socialization. I want my kids to be socialized. Therefore, I'm going to send them off to a system that makes them into little socialists. <gasps> oh, that, well, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant by socialize. No, 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 no. Well, socialized medicine is socialism. What do you think it is when you kids go off to be socialized and then you come back thinking that socialism is a good idea? It's it, it, socializing in the public education system is socialism. The, the framework within which your children are being educated is going to predispose them to certain ideas of government. If the hierarchy is the home, then they're going to think that society needs strong families, that their family, their marriage, their parenting, when they grow up, is terribly important to the way that society turns out. If their educational system is the public school, then they're going to think we need rigid hierarchy. We need experts telling us what to do all the time. We need an expert in English. We need an expert in math. We need an expert in science. We need an expert in 
sports. We need, you know, we need all these experts, and then we need administrators telling them what to do. And you know, it's it's government, right? Public education is government. I don't know if you know that. It's big government. And the model of education was designed in Prussia to make slaves out of 99 and 100 of its products. It was designed to be a little factory churning out obedient slaves. And John Dewey said, let's do that. That's a great idea. This progressive idea of public education is progressively taking us to socialism because John Dewey thought it was a good idea, because his compatriots, these academic elites, these people who thought they were the anointed ones that needed to, like Prometheus, bring fire down from the heavens, they thought it was a good idea for us to be socialist eventually. And they were like Fabians in the UK. And they thought, let's not do it like the Bolsheviks did with a revolution, violent overthrow. Let's do it gradually. Let's take the children from the parents. That's part of everything. Do you know about the French Revolution? Do you know about the Bolshevik Revolution? Do you know about Karl Marx? Do you know about the Fabian Society? Do you know about progressivism? Do you know about John Dewey? Do you know about how we got our American public education system? Do you know about why Thomas Jefferson wrote about a wall of separation between church and state in a private letter to a Baptist church that was asking him for advice because they were concerned about government encroachment on their religious liberties, not concerned about people in government believing in God the way that the left has twisted it. A bunch of, surprise, surprise, a bunch of Marxists, a bunch of closet Marxists in American politics decided that Christianity needed to be ejected from our political process. Who's shocked? Who Who is surprised by that? Whoever is surprised by that obviously is unfamiliar with the way that communists and Karl Marx himself regarded belief in God, regarded the Christian religion. Marxists and communists have always seen Christianity as a threat because it makes mutually exclusive truth claims to their system. They see Christianity as a threat, rightly so, because if you're a Christian and if you're informed, you're going to object to the things that they want to do and the way that they want to do them and the things that they claim are true about us, about God, about reality. We need to talk about everything because we need to get into that. We need to see the connection. We need to talk about everything so we can talk about history and politics and religion and philosophy. We can see how our theology informs our decision-making when it comes to finding a, a mate. Who did you decide to marry? And before that, who did you decide to, to date? And before that, who were you friends with? And before that, how were you raised? And before that, how were your parents raised? And before that, how were their parents? You know, all of it goes into the mix. I was talking with a guy yesterday, and I told him in passing that he needs to find himself a wife. Young guy, but not really, actually, unless I'm a young guy. I feel like an old soul. 
he seems like he's still um, got an energy that I don't necessarily feel most of the time. But he's only a couple years younger than me. So, um, yeah, I guess that means I'm younger than I remember that I am. But I was talking with him. He says, man, I need to eat some more fat. I'm getting a little too skinny. And uh, and he's teased me about having a little bit of a belly. And uh, so now all of a sudden I'm on a kick with eating salads because, you know, hey, you know, maybe I am. I'm getting a little bit of a gut here. I'm eating too many burgers for lunch, too many double bacon cheeseburgers. And uh, it's not doing my midsection any favors. So thanks, Daniel. Appreciate that. I'm not actually upset with you. Um, you were right. I, I was feeling my lap uh, had a guest, and that guest was my belly to uh, an unpleasant extent. So now I'm eating salads for lunches instead of double bacon cheeseburgers. But Daniel, I think, was maybe kind of, he was trying to say something to um, take the edge off of that and, and kind of you know being self-deprecating a little bit about being too skinny so that I wouldn't feel insecure. So thanks for that, Daniel, if that's what you were trying to do. I caught you, and I, I appreciate it. That was, that was nice of you. But, uh, you know, Daniel, he's talking about, you know, man, I'm getting a little too skinny, a little too lean. And he does hunting. He does, you know, guides uh, folks around through the mountains and, uh, and helps them get, you know, innocent animals killed and, and uh, cut up, um, which is good. That's good. I'm, I'm glad you do that. I, I approve and applaud that manly pursuit. But I told him when he said he, you know, he's getting a little skinny. I said, yeah, you, you really need to find yourself a wife to fatten you up, right? That's what did it for me. I was 160 pounds once upon a time back in high school, and uh, when I got married, my wife and I uh, both put on some weight. Part of that was stress, but part of that was she was cooking, and she was a far better cook than my dad was, with whom I was living before. My dad was a vegetarian, and, and that's a story for another time, but. All of a sudden, I was 170, 180, 200, 220. I put on a little too much weight. I made up for lost time. I needed to scale it back. Now I'm right between 190 and 200 is, is where I hover. And I think I'm going to lose some weight and, and get down maybe in the 180s. I don't want to lose too much weight. I like having a little bit of extra um, poundage for, you know, if I'm in a fight. You know, if the left wants to riot and loot and I need to fight, I want to be able to fight. Um, I'm just going to be honest with you. I want to be able to protect my family, and uh, I don't want to be 160 pounds like I was. I want to be 180, 190, uh, but I want to be lean. I want to be in good shape. So I told Daniel, back to that story, that uh, he needs to find himself a wife, fatten him up. And he says, oh, that's the worst advice you've ever given me. And, you know, in, the, in all of the time that you've been my friend, that, that was, uh, no, that was a terrible idea. And, you know, this is not to poke fun at him. I don't want to, I don't want to criticize him. Um, you know, he said women these days, right? Like they're crazy. They have all these crazy ideas about feminism really is what it comes down to. They've been, they've been indoctrinated from little on up to be these little feminists. And so they think you'd better not open the door for me. You'd better not pull the chair out for me. You'd better not take my coat and hang it up. You're treating me like I'm weak. You're, you're, you're oppressing me. You know, okay. Again, 
I'll refer you back to the Saudi Arabia piece. Go over to Saudi Arabia and then come back and let's talk about oppression of women in America. I'm holding the door for you because I'm trying to be chivalrous, you idiot. But whatever. Um, God love you. Someone has to. <laughs> but, you know, he, he that's, a, that's a deal breaker for my friend Daniel. And I don't blame him. Uh, you know, he, he meets some girl and her first question is, do you believe in God? And he says, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do. I'm a Christian. And she says, oh, that's that's going to be a problem for me. Yeah, no, I don't I don't believe in God. I think it's all a bunch of nonsense. Oh, yeah, that probably is going to be a problem because I, I believe that God does exist. Right? And so where do you go if you're my friend Daniel? Where do you go looking for a bride who's not insane, who's not driven by all these leftist ideas that she was, uh, you know, brainwashed into as a child little on up by society around her, by pop culture? Where do you go to find a wife when these ideas have consequences? We talk about elections have consequences. Education has consequences. Your upbringing has consequences. What you believe about God has consequences. You know, last Wednesday after youth group, I was talking with two friends of mine and uh, good godly men, strong men. They lead their families well. I love and respect them both immensely. Uh, don't always agree with them on everything, and they don't always agree with me on everything, but they are just a huge blessing in my life. Their wives are huge blessings to my wife. Their kids are such a, a joy to my kids and vice versa. Um, but Travis and Taylor, uh, I was talking with both of them after youth group. We all helped teach youth group uh, last Wednesday. And, uh, and so I'm talking with them. And we did not agree. We did not agree about justice. We did not agree about uh, a number of things that we hit on. You know, some things there was overlap and there was agreement. But I look at the way they're raising their children, and it gives me encouragement. I look at the way that they're leading their families, and it gives me encouragement. Because even if we come to different conclusions reading the same text, their heart is to honor and serve God. And so that has consequences. That has consequences in the way that they love their wives. That has consequences in the way that they love their wives, in the way that they raise their children in the way they teach their children. They're homeschooling their kids also, by the way. Uh, that has consequences for how many children they have. They have larger families. Travis and his wife, Laura, dear, sweet, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people have been a huge blessing and encouragement to us. They have eight. And uh, some of those children are adopted, which I love. I so admire that. It's so beautiful. Um, Taylor and his wife have, I believe, four. I believe they have four girls. And they're also getting into foster care because they they feel called to. They feel like that's something that they should do, something God wants them to do, and they can. And so they, they want to, and they're, they're going to. And I so admire that. I so genuinely respect, and, uh, and, and it's, it's a good example to me. It's a good example to others, and it, it encourages me. But their ideas about God 
have consequences, right? We come to similar conclusions on family size, on education, on how our marriage is, the way that we lead and love our wives, because of what we believe about God, but because of what we believe about God's word. By God's grace, I pray that there is a revival in this country that brings us back as men to what the Bible says about our responsibility. We are made in God's image. And what are we doing with that? Are we leading and loving our families well? I mean, these, these streets that are burning, these are not just failures of leftist policies. These are not just failures of the public schools. These are failures of fathers. These fathers did not raise their children. They did not train up their children in the way that they should go. I don't know if they were off doing drugs. I don't know if they were in jail. I don't know if they ran off with some other woman. I don't know if they were in a bottle. I don't, I don't know, right? Probably all of the above. But I know what they weren't doing. I know what their fathers were not doing. Their fathers were not training up their children in the way that they should go so that when they're older, they will not depart from them. And so now this is what we have. This is, we have looters, rioters, arsonists. We have this lost generation because their fathers were self-indulgent and godless. Now this is the fruit. So our beliefs have consequences. That's part of everything. You get a Dr. Dobson, he'll talk about that. You get a Christian therapist, a Christian psychologist, he'll talk about that. But are they necessarily talking about it vis-a-vis Kenosha, vis-a-vis Bernie Sanders, vis-a-vis Ocasio-Cortez, vis-a-vis Trump? You know, for all of the objections that evangelical Christians have, for instance, John Piper, to the way that Donald Trump communicates, to his egotism, to his arrogance, to his crass, crude speech, to his bullying of other people, his name-calling, his mocking. Here's a question for you guys. How did you train up your children? How did you train up your sons? Why do your sons not have the courage to run for office? Why do your sons not have the courage to stand up and do the right thing any more than Trump? Why is Trump the most courageous person in the country? Why is he the one that had the, I'm sorry, the intestinal fortitude to stand up. Where's John Piper's son? Now you could say, well, our sons are in ministry. Our sons are raising their families. Our sons are minding their own business and working with their hands. In other words, you trained your sons to be safe, safe, safe. And so you also did not train up your children in the way that they should go necessarily. That's the other side of this equation. We have on the one side abusive rioters and looters who want to burn the whole country down. And then on the other hand, we have very nice people who are too afraid to stand up to it because the way that they were disciplined was towards safety. Their cardinal virtue is safety, security, stability. And for all I know, honestly, what bothers that crowd about Trump is not even that he's crude and crass. It's that he upsets their 
desire for safety. And insofar as that is the real reason why John Piper, it wants to equate Trump's rhetoric with abortion, like some kind of a moral equivalence exists between saying dumb things and murdering innocent children. For all I know, it's that John Piper just wants everybody to love everybody. Not in a genuine way necessarily, but in a stable way, in a safe way. Lullaby and good night. Go to sleep, little baby. Is that the way that we should go? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Men need to be men. For too long, we men have been cowards, self-seeking, asleep at the wheel. We have to raise our children. We have to raise our sons. We have to raise our daughters. We have to lead and love our wives in a courageous and bold way. And we have to take slings and arrows. And we have to make the unpopular call. Lead, damn it. And stop leading with your passivity. Stop leading with your cowardice. Stop leading with fecklessness. Now I know, I know, I know, I know that someone will listen to that and immediately react to it. And they'll suddenly find their courage. They'll suddenly find their boldness. Enough to denounce me. And they'll characterize what I'm saying as some kind of macho, machismo, Rambo Christianity that I'm advocating. Not so. Not so. I do like Wild at Heart. If you've never read the book, it is uh, an argument for regaining manly Christianity. Let's stop wearing pastels and sitting on grandma's settee and sipping tea and calling that Christianity. How about you put on some flannel and you get your hands dirty, you get some calluses, you learn how to hunt, you learn how to fight, you work out, arise, kill, and eat. Be a man. Be a man. Half of this transgender nonsense is based on the idea that masculinity is really not that important. It's really not that essential. What's the value there? Show what the value is. Demonstrate it. Show us. Show and tell. We need masculinity because for all the talk of toxic masculinity, the answer is not less masculinity. It is not to emasculate everybody. It is not to castrate and then bid the gelding be fruitful, as C.S. Lewis puts it. We are making and have been making for some time now men without chests. They get a company. They need a good reputation. They win an award. And all of a sudden, they have no chest. All of a sudden, they have no courage. All of a sudden, they couldn't take a position to save their life or to save your life because all they're concerned about is safety. All they're concerned about is security. All they're concerned about is not making waves. Let's not upset the fruit basket. Let's not rock the boat. Whatever analogy you want to use, they're too safe. This country was not made great originally by men who were safe. This country was made great by men who were free. And we need to remember that and we need to act like or else we're doomed. We're doomed. If this is the best we can do or we just sit in our basements and we play video games and we watch cities burn, we shake our fist at it and go back to our video games again, we're doomed. China's going to rule the world. And boy howdy, Biden might get elected today. And if he does, I believe China will rule the world, including but not limited to America. And when China rules the world, you will be a little late to the game in deciding that you want to stand up now. Now you want to find your strength. Now you want to work out. Now you want to exercise. Now you want to learn how to fight. Now you want to learn what you believe, why you believe it. Now you want to start using your First Amendment rights, exercising them to believe what you believe and to not only believe it, but to speak it. Talk like you believe that. Act like you believe that. If you actually believe these things are true, there should be some evidence of it that I can see, and we need it. We need to bring our A game. It is everything. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, everything. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with your strength as unto the Lord. Do you know why? 
Because when you're dead, it's going to be a little late to be doing anything. You're not doing anything in the grave. You're not doing anything in, in Sheol. So in everything that you do, do it well. Do it with gusto. Once more with feeling, ladies and gentlemen. With that, I thank you for listening. If you made it this far, good job. Good job having an attention span. Good job stretching your attention span. If this is a bit of a stretch, keep stretching. Do hard things. I want to talk about everything, and it might be messy, and I might not do it right, and I might look like an idiot, but I think more of us need to be willing to look like idiots, just to be honest with you. I think uh, passivity looks dumber than getting messy, rolling up my sleeves, being willing to look a little bit foolish for a while. It is getting better. It is better already than it was the first time I recorded one of these episodes. But uh, I thank you for listening. If you're listening now, uh, please do me a big favor if you did listen. You know, I, I keep extending an invitation at the end of each episode to reach out if you have any comments, questions, complaints, objections, concerns, etc., etc. But really, 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 if anything that I said here was helpful to you, or if it made you mad, or if it made you happy, if it made you sad, if it made you think, if it made you more intentional, if it got you going in a little bit of a different direction in the way you understand a certain subject and then that improves your life let me know about it right that would be a huge encouragement to me and get in that habit with other people with just in general right i think i think what i'm asking is reasonable i think what i want there is reasonable let's do that with other people as well because sometimes all people need is just a little bit of encouragement and that is one of the things that we should be doing as christians we should be encouraging one another stirring one another up to good works but enough for this episode thank you for listening be well god bless until next time garrett ashley mullet this is the garrett ashley mullet show